for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. You're with Lembet Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Good morning to you. Four minutes past seven in the United Kingdom. Uh, thanks for joining me uh, as you get ready for work. Thanks for joining me if you're going home in Sydney and Melbourne for the weekend. Hope you can have a good one. Well, it's going to start well uh, because we've got a packed show today. We've got Gemma Cooper with her usual absolutely forensic look at what's going on in the news. Then we've got Andrew Allison, and this is an exclusive, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, he is going to be launching the Freedom in Crisis campaign right here on TNT Radio. He'll explain what it is. It's a global campaign to take back our liberty. Uh, Andrew Allison, who runs the Freedom Association in the United Kingdom, will explain all in a short while. Ian Causey joins us to look back at a life well lived by Alistair Darling, he was a very senior politician from what you might call the old guard, when you still had politicians who had depth and principle. I knew him myself, Ian Causey knew him better. He's a former member of parliament in the United Kingdom. We'll be talking about uh, what was his, his legacy and why don't we get people like that in British politics anymore? We'll also talk to Andrew Montford. He's the director of Net Zero Watch in the UK on the eve of a speech to be made by the king himself at COP28. That's the uh, Sham Climate Emergency Conference in the United Arab Emirates, also described as an oil mart for that country. We'll find out why he thinks the king might be a little bit misguided and thinking the world's going to end because of the actions of the human race. Uh, all of that with me. Uh, I want to talk about two uh, quick subjects, all related actually to COP26. In the United States, there's a snowstorm. It's really, really cold, but apparently we've still got global warming. Now, don't mix up weather and climate. Weather is what happens on a day-to-day -day basis. Climate is what happens on a decade-to-decade -decade basis. I put it to you that the weather is doing what the weather does. It's normal. And the BBC, <laughs> one of those great climate emergency catastrophe stations, can't see the irony in covering the cold in the United Kingdom, and it is cold here, unusually cold apparently, according to the weather reports, and the cold in the United States, while at the same time saying, we are entering the era of global boiling. At the same time, we've got the king of the United Kingdom deciding to quite obviously wade into politics in the most obvious way possible, together with 70,000 other people who've all gone to the United Arab Emirates in order to discuss global warming and why we shouldn't fly. I wonder how they got there. I don't think they walked 70,000 flights there and back to the UAE, which is using the climate conference to sell oil. You couldn't make it up, my friends. If you've got a view on this, why don't you go to tntradio.live and tell me, maybe I've got it all wrong. Maybe you think that it's worth having essentially a small city's worth of panic attack politicians and civil servants all going to the UAE, which is very nice at this time of year, uh, with or without climate change, to talk about what we should be doing to stop the climate from changing. Little warning here, folks, you can't stop the climate from changing. When people say that I'm a climate change denier, I say, no, I'm claiming the climate does change. You're the climate change denier because you think we can stop it. Don't they know the story of King Canute? 
he tried to hold back the tides. He actually didn't. What he was doing was proving that he couldn't hold back the tides. Well, I can promise you we can't stop the climate from changing. Warning, make sure you're wrapped up in the years ahead because we're going into a grand solar minimum. It's going to get colder, not warmer. That's the climate change we need to be concerned about. Meanwhile, CO2, our friend, the fertilizer, carries on nourishing plant life around the world. I could go on and I will go on later on when we've got uh, Mr. Montford with us and he'll explain his unique take on why perhaps COP28 is a cop out. All of that with me, Len Batovic, here on TNT Radio. Conversations to inform and include. It's meant for everyday people to understand. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Just to remind you once again, my friends, we give you the facts as best we can establish them, and we give you our opinions, but we separate them so that you know when it's what I think rather than what the facts tell us. And then you can make up your own mind as well. That's the beauty of free speech. Facts and opinions not all rolled into one. Somebody who knows exactly how to separate the two and draw the right conclusions joins me now. Good morning, Gemma Cooper. How are you doing? Morning, Lambert. Yes, Friday. So what's not to like about a day like Friday? You know, the weekend is ahead of us. Uh, nice to have the break. I mean, obviously, we all love being on TNT. It's fantastic, but it is nice to look forward to a little bit of downtime away from the digital screens, you know, a bit of normal life. But it's cold out there. Where's the global boiling? It's really well, cold. Minus one my, where I am. Exactly. Yes. My thoughts exactly as you were talking there, I was sitting in the studio thinking to myself, oh, you know, it is it is exceptionally cold, actually. And I don't know how any news outlet can justifiably marry the two together and say, you know, it's really cold because the climate's warming up and we're heading for global boiling. They'll find a way to link it. They absolutely will because they can't not. They can't not now. The mainstream, they've gone too far with this. So even though the, the headlines will get more ludicrous, Chris, I can guarantee that um, as the temperatures plummet, it will be blamed. It will be blamed somehow on global warming. It will. Within a year, we'll get to global burning where we'll spontaneously combust. <laughs> and it'll all be our fault because this tiny little amount of CO2 fertilizer we put into the atmosphere. Uh, I found out yesterday that apparently we're putting one atom in a million every nine years. Apparently, that's the human contribution, but apparently that's enough to ruin the climate. Just in case we're not doing enough, of course, we've got 70,000 people all flying to the UEA, UAE to tell us not to fly. It's beautiful. So beautiful. It's so artistic. Anyway, maybe you didn't want to talk about that. Perhaps you've got something even more ludicrous to discuss. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Now, I've been, keep, I've been keeping an eye on this. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to touch this story because it, it, it's got it's got panic attack, like you say, panic attack politicians, you know, um, and this has the same hallmarks of that. But more and more mainstream news outlets are picking up on this now and, and beginning to stir the hornet's nest of preparedness for what could possibly be, quote unquote, another pandemic coming out of China. Now, we have seen these headlines and we've seen a few images of, you know, children in hospital with masks. But what we can trust coming out of that country in terms of images is very dubious. When you consider three and a half years ago, we were getting very suspect looking videos of people just dropping down dead in the street in China. And that's what really you know kicked off the fear frenzy. But more and more experts, health experts are warning here in the UK and Europe to prepare for a worst case scenario 
because of a mystery illness uh, in China, a mystery outbreak of a pneumonia-like illness affecting children. Um, children are now on record scales in hospitals, which are saying they're overwhelmed. Um, masks and social distancing have been reintroduced in China, and the fears are growing uh, that it's heading our way, uh, as there's a case now allegedly in the Netherlands. Now, this remind you of anything? Cast your mind back, you know, to, to 2020, three years ago. This is exactly what we were hearing at the back end of 2019 even. Um, but there's an infectious disease expert now who's been quoted in many, many mainstream news outlets over the last uh, 24 hours saying that uh, health care systems in the UK and Europe need to step up preventative measures. We need to prepare for the worst. We need to stay alert remind you of anything um and we and we and we must ramp up surveillance on this mystery illness another health expert is saying that due to the amount of travel and the density of populations um the countries and cities most likely to get this first are amsterdam well that's where one case has popped up frankfurt paris and london uh so yeah there, there's this kind of culture of fear being created over something that's going on in China, where people are having to wear masks, people are having to social distance, and the fears are it's heading our way. Now, is this fear mongering because it's clickbait headlines, because everybody is so worried about something happening again, or is there something on the way? Because it's all to do with China. We'll never know any kind of truth, anything that's coming out of China. And all the uh, inquiries, COVID inquiries going on around the world are saying, you know, if if and when this happens again, we must lock down harder. The, the WHO is uh, looking at the data, it says, that's coming out of China. And apparently, allegedly, medics worldwide now are on high alert to see what is coming. So I'm just saying, I don't want to be the bearer of bad tidings on a Friday, but I'm seeing more and more headlines relating to this. And God knows if they try this again, it's going to be very different to what it was three years ago. Yes. Guess what? I don't believe them. I think they're lying. You heard it first as an exclusive here on TNT Radio. The problem I've got now is that uh, I'm watching this uh, COVID inquiry in the United Kingdom. Mal Hancock, the former uh, Secretary of State for uh, Health during the COVID inquiry, who broke his own rules, of course, and had to resign, um, says that if we'd locked down three weeks earlier, we'd have saved lots of lives. Matt, no, we wouldn't. We'd have just wrecked the economy even more. I think they need to get a reality check here. I hopefully believe, Gemma, that the general public won't be fooled again. How can they put a lockdown in place if 70 million of us ignore it? Because I think that's what's going to happen. And the justifiable defense is, well, the prime minister didn't do it. Secretary didn't do it. And I'm not going to do it either. That's going to be my response. Absolutely. And it will be millions of people's response. But what's interesting about the pictures coming out of China now is that it's children. It, it's it's children ill with whatever it is that they've got, allegedly, um, and children in hospital. And that's very emotive. So whilst people, maybe grown adults would say, well, I won't do it when it comes to maybe, oh, my kids, oh, my God, my kids. No, I, I don't want to risk it that much. Do you see? It's very clever, isn't it? It's not really about you anymore. It's about vulnerable children. Um, so, I, you know, it's just so hard to know what's the truth when you see images coming out of China, because the ones we saw three, three and a half years ago, people suddenly just dropping down dead in the street looked like some terrible B movie, which is effectively what it was. But there is something brewing here. 
without a doubt. And, and a culture of a, a kind of climate of, oh, we better be careful is being created. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see who does fall for it and who doesn't. You know, the Great Awakening, as we talk about, is upon us. Um, but this one's affecting kids, so it, it may be different. What bothers me about it is two things. First of all, uh, they are using the child rule the same way that Gutierrez in the United Nations has gone to boiling instead of just global warming. Uh, so they have to ramp it up so that we're all more scared, so that we've got a responsibility to our children to follow and obey and not question authority. The second thing that bothers me even more is that trusting people who still believe that the state is right will do the best they can to follow the rules, they'll isolate themselves, they'll ruin their lives for almost no reason. The recovery rate was close to 100% for uh, COVID. People weren't, in my view, dropping down in the street. You know where that comes from? That's because with the Spanish flu, a long, long time ago, people were dying in the street. Completely different story. But what we've now got is the emotional hold. I've noticed that some of the old, uh, the lamestream media, as I think we started calling them, they actually put music, they put music uh, to underline the news stories when it's about a vulnerable person. I don't think that's very good. Uh, I think that we're heading towards a fracture here, by the way, where people say we're not doing this again. Yes, I think we are. I would hope that we are. I mean, here at TNT, we we are, you know, broadcasting to extremely like-minded people and, and very well-researched, erudite and intelligent audience that will never fall for it again. But because we're kind of now mixing with our own, as it were, it, 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 in our professional and possibly private lives as well, lots of new friendships have been forged over the chaos of the last three and a half years. You know, we don't have that. I personally, as I I don't know if I speak for anyone else, but I personally don't have that much contact now with people who don't really think like me or see the world mm. as I perceive it. Um, so it's difficult to know. There is this great split. Um, I just hope that there's enough of us and we behave in a nice, civilized, friendly, positive manner to those who still are falling for it and say, look, really, come on. And there's no aggression and fighting if this happens again, which I it's pretty obvious world leaders and, and, the, and the elites and the globalists do want this to happen again. They can't play their hand exactly the same, but they obviously want to play it. They want to play it. And you rightly say about Matt Hancock in the UK COVID inquiry. I was talking with Dean Mackin about this at the top of the last hour. You know, that message, we should have locked down harder. We would have saved more lives. Well, we didn't save that many lives, Matt. You put everybody in care homes and gave them midazolam. You know, that pretty much is the, you know, one of the questions the inquiry needs to ask. Um, but yeah, that, that's his message. That's the message of the inquiry. Lockdown harder, lockdown harder, if, if and when this happens again. That's where it's Ge heading. Gemma Cooper, thanks so much. I want to know your views as well. Go to tntradio.live. I want to hear your views. Coming up next, we're going to look back at a great politician, Alistair Darling, who died yesterday. That's all with me, Lemmy Topic, on, on TNT Radio. Pervoy Morich on TNT Radio. From June 2012 with BBC, Tony Blair ID cards needed to tackle illegal migrants. Uh, of course, that was 2012. Those ID cards today are is, is digital ID. And uh, Majid Nawaz, among others, he, he says, globalist surrogates pretending to be right, populist right-wing influencers against Muslims and immigration are leading you into a trap. It was these very same globalists who opened our 
borders as part of their plan after invading multiple countries in your name. And of course, it's the same false flag formula. They're creating the problem intentionally because they have a solution that they want for us. So, you know, they got the solution, which is, you know, dystopia. Uh, and then they figure out, okay, what problems can we create to, to get where we want to go? So we want this algorithm ghetto. How do we get it? Flood in illegal migrants get rid of law and order, and the solution is going to be the algorithm ghetto. And we're already seeing signs of that. Pervoy Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk <laughs> My baby's back from the West Coast. <laughs> Hear those pictures that you asked for for your school project? First day of school, cute as a button. <laughs> so long ago. Oh, here's Grandma Florence after that flood wiped out the whole neighborhood. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe. And it's the best way to protect that legacy. Ah, those beans smell heavenly. Mm -hmm. Give mom a little credit. You know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. Oh, great idea. At my dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay. Smart. I'm coming to share with you guys. Protect your legacy. Plan for natural disasters today. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan. People might tell you that Lyme doesn't kill people, but we are losing people. People disappear from their lives. One of the scariest things that I had to deal with was uh, memory loss. Not just like, I don't remember what I did last week, but like, I forgot all the words to my own songs. I remember going to my primary care physician and he was like, you are 100% healthy. There's nothing wrong with you. And my response was, that's impossible, I'm dying. I wasn't working, so I had all of these hospital bills. We had to move out of our home and move into my parents' basement. I just wish I could have truly been present in those big moments, you know, when she took her first steps or, you know, her first day of preschool. Lyme is such a thief and it goes undetected because no one is looking for it. For more information and prevention tips, go to projectlime.org. We don't rock, rock. we talk. talk. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Uh, good morning to you. 23 minutes past seven if you're in the UK. Good afternoon to you if you're in Australia. Uh, it's 23 minutes past six in Sydney and Melbourne, a little bit earlier in Perth. Wherever you are in the world, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, we're talking now about... A chap who really was one of the giants of politics towards the end of the 20th century, beginning of the 21st, uh, Alistair Darling. He was a chancellor at a very difficult time. He was in the Labour government, mainly in Tony Blair's administration. A different breed 
to the kind of people we get now. Joining me now is somebody who worked with him, a former member of parliament from 1997 to 2010, Ian Causey. Uh, he was in the Labour Party too. Uh, good morning to you, Ian. Thanks for joining us on TNT Radio. Good morning, Lambert. Thanks for the invitation. Nice to see First you. First of all, do you miss politics? Um, I suppose that um, the bit I miss about it is, you know, I was the local MP in the area where I still live uh, for 13 years. And during that period of time, you get to meet so many amazing people and see so many amazing things. And you learn so much about the area that you've lived in all your life and you still find new things and exciting things. I think that bit I, I certainly miss. If you're asking if I miss the the daily grind and going down to Westminster and all of that kind of stuff. And especially in these days, chatting to former colleagues who are still there, the social media output in the way that uh, people uh, have to deal with that these days, which is only just starting when we were finishing our time in Parliament. Uh, I, think I, I think I feel blessed that I don't have to deal with that. <laughs> Well, I've got a simpler answer. I don't. <laughs> I don't want to be back in there. I was always much more measured than you. <laughs> you were, which is probably why you chose to leave Parliament instead of being shoved out by your constituents. Oh, no, um, I was. No, 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 let's be clear. I was shoved out by my constituents. <laughs> you and me both in that case, uh, different sides of the uh, of the divide. We both got into the clearinghouse of life. Uh, somebody well, you else know, I, I would like to think that, that my constituents thought such a lot of me. They decided that I needed a well-earned break <laughs> my constituents weren't so generous <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't so kind after i left somebody else who's checked out for good of course is alistair darling who was the chancellor when you were a member of parliament and, and myself too he died at the age of 70 relatively young these days i think of him as one of the big beasts from the old guard somebody who had real depth and whether or not you agreed with this political party he clearly was a breed apart because he had life experience too. Tell us about Alistair, darling. Oh, I mean, Alistair was a great guy. Um, and, and perhaps that's the, perhaps the, the single most important thing to say. I mean, uh, he'll always be remembered for his political career and his political roles, but I don't think that completely defined the man. The man was a man full of compassion and humour and intellect, a uh, great company to be with. He took on some of the most difficult offices of state. And as you said earlier, he was the Chancellor at a very difficult time with the world financial crash. And I think looking back, people can now see the things he did, the measures he did, working with Gordon Brown, who was then Prime Minister himself, had been Chancellor. Um, I think what the UK did at that point extended beyond just the UK shores, and uh, and there was a real sense of collaboration across the world to try and deal with what was happening at that time. And I thought it was really good, actually, really heartening yesterday to see uh, uh, Philip Humpt, our, our current Chancellor, uh, talking so... Uh, uh, did I say Philip? <laughs> uh, talking so kindly uh, and so wisely about what what he did at that time, but uh, and you know I think to see that and Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, also speaking very glowingly about Alistair's time in office. It's nice to see that recognition. It was a difficult time. He was writing the hairlines as it was at that time of of lots of concern and worry amongst British people. But looking back, he would he did sound things and good things for for britain and wider so he'll be very much missed uh i think that people like alistair darling are different to many of the mainstreamers now i was talking to actually a conservative uh obviously the party of government in the uk at the moment and 
I said, who's going to be your next leader? And it's a thin field. Back then, when we were both in Parliament, there were big names, Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, uh, in the Liberal Democrats, Charles Kennedy. Uh, there were names that really attracted opinion and I would say respect. And Alice Darling was one of them. Robin Cook, another one who died before his time. Do you, my feeling now is, Ian, that we've got a political class who've only done politics and that's mm. diminished the quality so that people like Alistair Darling, who clearly had a rounded life, um, don't tend to go into politics anymore. Am I just becoming old? Or <laughs> well, well, I think there's, a bit of, there's probably a bit of that. But, but yeah, I, I mean, I think it, is, it has been an issue for a little while now that uh, trying to get people with life's experiences and achievements pre-politics to tempt them to go into the political world is difficult. You know, I mean, these people are often... Uh, have good careers of their own and are earning decent money uh, and it doesn't come with some of the baggage and all of the stress and hassle that goes with being in the elected office now. Um, I mean, I think parties do slightly go through uh, the ups and downs of that. You are right that in 19, when I first entered Parliament in 1997, you know, everywhere I turned, I seemed to see people who seemed to be, I mean, not just Labour people, political giants, and uh, maybe that was just a time. And I think, I mean, I think Labour's had its problems in more recent times about, you know, what is the next generation? But but I think uh, that is that has picked up a bit. You know, you've got people like Keir Starman, who was the Director of Public Prosecutions, Rachel Reeve, who went for the Bank of England, and, uh, you know, people like Rishi Sunak, I mean, clearly has successful careers before they came into politics so I, th I think it does ebb and flow a bit but 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 i think the simple truth is if you want talented people to go into politics then politics has to be an attractive career and i think for too many that work-life balance is not going to be struck by being a politician i wonder if people like alistair darling and frankly you and me would be so inclined to go into politics now when we've got 24-7 news where everybody picks up their phone and takes a picture of you when you're on the underground, but you can't have an argument in public without being in the press the next day, and where, frankly, the respect for politicians seems to be at an all-time low. Would you go back in now? I doubt it. You know, I mean, I, I think I joined x or twitter as it was then in something like 2007 so so in in terms of my own political career that was just the last the final three years and it seemed to be a a, a friendlier place when it when it was first established although i did have one very dedicated constituent who really did used to uh, troll me all the time with uh, and 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 it, and it did used to get you down and it did used to affect you and and, and i think back now I mean, I had one. I very much challenged an LMP now. It's only got one person giving them a hard time on social media. Um, uh, so I think the world has changed. Maybe it will be that there will eventually be a new generation that that is just their lives and they won't think of it as anything extraordinary. But I think for those of us who were there in a the previous time, it's not very attractive to go back. Yeah, and I don't think this is nostalgia. You had Alistair Darling, as I say, I mentioned Robin Cook. Tony Blair, whether you liked him or not, he was a big beast. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I've always perhaps had a more sympathetic view of Gordon Brown than even many in your own party. And you had people like Ian Duncan Smith and going even further back, whether you liked her or hated her, Margaret Thatcher, who's unquestionably a dramatic character. I think we live under a vanilla sky of politics now. And what frustrates me the most, Ian, is they talk about things 
with confidence, but without information. That's what we're seeing in the COVID review, I think, because it, or the inquiry. It turns out they didn't know what they were doing, but they were telling us it with confidence. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah exactly. Uh, and 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 there's a bit of a there's a bit of establishment breeding in that. I think. I think you know there there, there are people in life who 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 have very very good educations that are very expensively provided and it gives them great confidence and a great sense of entitlement it doesn't necessarily mean that they've got the intellect or the rigor to deal with you know when you talk about covid you you are talking about a massive unprecedented thing which would be a challenge for anybody but but i think a bit of humility in looking and dealing with that you know I, i'm the most shocking thing for me i mean at the time but i think the inquiries proving it even more was the way that expert opinion was sidelined if, if, if it was merely inconvenient and I think that to me just seeing I mean you talk, we're talking about Alistair you know there was no better example of a man who believed in evidence-based policy uh, and then how did you take you know whatever the evidence told you and turn it into meaningful uh, and usable legislation and regulation you know I, I mean I think that's what politics should be about and I think uh, we miss we will miss that kind of politician deeply we'll get you back sometime in the near future i miss you too ian but don't be a stranger to tnt radio thank you that's ian Causey, thank who knew much. alistair darling a big name in politics and perhaps part of a breed apart from what we have today coming up next an exclusive uh, the launch of freedom in crisis it's a campaign by the freedom of association what's all that about you'll find out in just a minute with me len Topic on tnt radio now, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The temporary ceasefire in Gaza has come to an end, with Israel resuming its bombardment of the besieged territory on Friday morning. NATO has once again reaffirmed its support for Ukraine in its war with Russia, the US-led bloc now upgrading Ukraine's Soviet-era defence force to NATO standards. And Tucker Carlson has vowed to lead protests across America if former President Donald Trump is convicted ahead of next year's presidential election. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk TNT Radio. 26 minutes to 8 in the UK, 26 minutes to 7 in Melbourne and Sydney. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. I'm Lemba Topic. This is the home of free speech. Like to hear your points of view as well. Go to the chat. I'll read out some of those in just a moment. But now, ladies and gentlemen, we have an exclusive. The launch of a campaign live here on TNT Radio. Freedom in Crisis is the campaign. Andrew Allison, who is the chief executive of the Freedom Association, here to share what it's about and why it's happening. Andrew, good morning to you. Good morning, Lambert. Uh, thanks for joining us. First of all, tell us, what does the Freedom Association do? We campaign for free speech, freedom of expression, free markets, uh, anything to do with freedom, really. That's what we, we, we support. Uh, and the reason why we've got Freedom in Crisis campaign is because it really is uh, in crisis. Uh, people don't feel free to speak their minds in the way that they used to just a number of years ago, we've got the rise of you no know, platforming at universities, the deep banking scandal here in the UK, where banks are removing people's bank accounts uh, simply because their views don't align with the bank's values, where whatever that means. Um, we've had uh, the use of non-crime hate incidents here in the UK, where the police can knock on your door 
admitting that you haven't committed a crime, but they didn't particularly like what you, you had to say and, and are warning you about it. So all of this has been happening probably in the last sort of 10 years or so, and it's really getting to a crisis point now where if we don't start defending freedom, uh, we're going to start losing it. So what does the Freedom in Crisis campaign entail? I presume part of it will be raising money for the campaign. Well, very much so, yeah. People can, if they wish to make a donation, can go along to uh, our website, tfa.net slash freedomincrisis, uh, or they become members of the Freedom Association or patrons or, or, or individual donors. But yes, we do need to raise funds to, to, to do this campaign, uh, to, to be able to expand our media operation, um, to be able to, to do more events around the country, particularly at universities, highlighting these issues. One of the things that I found absolutely unforgivable was when the leader of my former party, the Liberal Democrats, Nick Clegg, actually agreed with putting no platform policies in place for nonviolent extremists at universities. Mm. In other words, what he was saying was, if you say things which are extreme but don't evoke violence against other people, you should still be cancelled at yeah. the home of our education system, uh, which is the universities. How can a man who's in the liberal democrats there's a clue in the name there andrew well you have to cancel people there is there there is indeed a clue in the name there though we used to call them the liberal anti-democrats at uh at one point because they just don't seem to have any any liberal tendencies about them but of course nick clegg uh quickly moved after he lost his seat didn't he in the house of commons to um to california and is now enjoying the high life there working for for facebook or meta as it is known now, um, defending some of their liberal policies. So it just seems to be a continuation of the same from Nick Clegg. Well, at least he has the uh, he has the honour of presiding with the biggest drop in numbers in the history of the Liberal Democrats from 57 <laughs> to 8. And then just to make absolutely sure that his liberal views were underlined as his legacy, he lost his own seat to a man who was then prosecuted for other things. <laughs> this yeah, is well, I guess I, I, that, that particular successor of his, actually, uh, he was sent to prison, I think, earlier this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not, a, not, not a good time for the good people of Sheffield Hallam, was it? <laughs> no, not really, I don't think. But maybe this is the problem, Andrew. People don't realise they're losing their freedom until it's lost. The whole yeah. cancel culture uh, that I think the Freedom Association is here to fight against is predicated mm. on the fact that if you don't like something somebody says, rather than arguing with them, you cancel them. You just get rid of them. Uh, the exactly. classic example being the environment. We'll talk about the environment in, with our next guest. But, but... I wonder what's gone wrong in a highly educated country like the UK, theoretically. Why are these people so willing to silence opposition instead of taking it on in a proper debate? Well, because they can, I think, is the is the short answer to that question. And it's it's it, this is all sort of salami tactics, I feel, that you, you take a little slice off all the time. And because it's just a little bit of a slice, people don't realize that their freedoms are being are being taken away but then after a few years they suddenly realize just how much has gone on and then you start getting a backlash you know we quite often talk about the the, the silent majority and i do believe that uh, the vast majority of people in the uk are opposed to these cancel culture tactics but the problem is they don't they don't stand up and and speak their minds 
in the way that they should be because they're frightened. They're frightened they're going to lose their jobs. And that's a, that's a very real, a real threat. Mm. But unless people do start standing up and the silent majority becomes the vocal majority, I fear that nothing else is going to change. And this is the reason really for this campaign is, is to try and give people a platform, give people a voice uh, and make them realize that they're not alone. The freedom and crisis works in my book, Andrew, and it's not for me to tell you how to run your organization, then offensive people with offensive views will get a platform. This is the one thing I really agree with Elon Musk on. He says uh, that freedom of speech is meaningless unless you let people you don't like say things you don't like. And mm. we're now in a situation where that's regarded as offensive. And we have to protect the vulnerable public from offensive views. What chances do you have of success? Um, I think we've got a good chance of success because, you know, just to repeat what I said previously, I think it is a silent majority. It's just that majority needs to find its voice. And I think once it does start finding its voice, and hopefully we can help people find their voices, then I think that then we, then we stand a good chance because you know, these people who wish to silence us, um, they're, they're not brave. You know, they're, they're, they're not They like to think that they're warriors, but they're anything but because they will not debate, they will not discuss their ideas. You know, they're more interested in calling you a racist or a homophobe or, or Islamophobe or, or something like that, simply because you challenge their views. That strikes me uh, as that the, the, they're all basically cowards, not brave people. Um, I think the rest of us can stand up to those people and win. I, I agree with you. I think the general public is cowed into silence because they don't want to lose their job. They don't want to lose their friends. They don't want to look like they're not conforming because conformism is rewarded. You've just talked about um, Nick Clegg. Well, we talked about Nick Clegg before. He couldn't have conformed more. He basically sold the entire Liberal Democrats down the river to get to be Deputy Prime Minister for five years and then trash his party. And I think in a sense... People like him have defined the mood music for lots of really good humans, good citizens who think, well, maybe I shouldn't stand out. And they say, well, privately, I agree with you, but I don't want to say because I don't want to get my kids into trouble. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. But then, of course, there are other people. I mean, take our friend Nigel Farage, who's currently in the in the Australian jungle eating kangaroo's testicles and, and various things like that. I mean, you know all about that, don't you, Lambert? But not uh, that particular, but, not put that particular dish, but I get the drift. Yes, yes. Uh, um, you know, people like Nigel uh, are certainly are certainly fighting back. Uh, but it was interesting on some of the footage that was shown there that one of the contestants said to Nigel, "Well, black people don't like you, do they?" And he went, "Well, that's simply not true. I get on well with a lot of black people, and I go to South London quite a lot. I talk to a lot of black people, and she couldn't believe it because." Because Nigel believes in controlled immigration, which, you know, happens in every other country, you know, particularly Australia, where this has been being broadcast, because he believes in that controlled immigration, um, he's labelled a racist. And it's just totally untrue. Um, so, you know, uh, people, I think it was Nella Rose, wasn't it, this uh, this particular YouTuber yeah. on um, on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of, out of Here, he was completely uneducated. He was yeah. complete, just didn't have a clue what she was talking about. I just made very, very lazy assumptions about uh, about Nigel, who, who had to put a right on them. Thank you so much, uh, Andrew. That's Andrew Allison from the Freedom Association. If you want to join his campaign, go to find the Freedom Association on the internet. I think it's a global campaign. And they are trying to raise money <clears throat> to protect 
your right to free speech. That's what TNT Radio is all about as well. Uh, thanks for joining us. I'll get some of the comments from the chat in a moment. Coming up next, we're going to go across to the United Arab Emirates and find out why King Charles thinks he's entitled to wade in to the politics of the climate crisis. That is, and all of that with me, Lemitopa, here on TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. My goomba, Mark Morano, is over in Dubai. He actually was telling me that I should go over there with him, but I have other things to do. In any case, Mark has said that the COP28 is shaping up to be a doubling down on the green agenda, despite the massive failure on a grand global scale. Now, I'm sure Mark is going to be talking about this quite a bit, but I would be remiss if a remiss, whichever word you want to use, if I did not bring up what Mark sent down today and he's going to be reporting on this and make no mistake about it this un climate summit will continue the push for the collapse of our once plentiful energy food supply and transportation what could be the possible reason to do that i mean you have bill gates king charles john kerry the world economic forum all these people are elitist all of them are ignorant as to what is actually driving the climate all of them are arrogant and believe that they they are smarter than everyone else and therefore they wish to control everyone else that is what this is all about i'm sure as mark reports on it everybody's going to pick up on that this is tnt climate and weather watchdog meteorologist joe bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather it's the only weather you've got are you ready to help your family get prepared for the unexpected here we go ladybug and cat noir know how important it is to be ready because you never know when Hawk Moth is going to strike or a disaster will hit. And you don't need miraculous powers. Just put those planning skills you already have to good use. Make a plan that will help you and your family be ready when emergencies happen. Ready Kids can help. Get started at ready.gov kids. This is the Lembit Opic Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Greetings, quarter to eight in the UK, quarter to seven in Sydney and Melbourne. I hope you're going to have a great weekend. Well, it started well. You're here with me, Lambert Topic, on TNT Radio. Lots going on in the chat. Some of this won't make sense if you're not following the chat. Go to tntradio.live and you'll find it there. Just a random selection of comments here. Uh, Ivan says, protect kids from made-up disease, but allow folks to run around in the streets stabbing them. Yeah, I got the point there. I got robbed three weeks ago in central London by idiots. I probably use your word, but it's a family show. Uh, thank goodness thought you were going to say the Kissinger word, uh, says Holly. Thanks <laughs> very much indeed. I was thinking about talking about Henry Kissinger, but everybody else is. You can draw your own conclusions on that. And uh, we've got uh, more conversation. Uh, Mogden points out that uh, David Kelly, who probably was going to pull the trigger on Tony Blair's uh, false weapons of mass destruction, died mysteriously in a forest. David Kelly was a Baha'i and they don't tend to support suicide. That was never really properly uh, proved one way or the other, I think. Uh, I remain very suspicious what happened there. Uh, River says, such a poor state of affairs when we've lost what we've lost lately. Most, most people don't even see it. I absolutely agree. Um, Chris says, what freedom? Uh, a lot just banned. Uh, uh, T. Robinson, yeah. I mean, this is the point. If somebody's offensive, they get banned instead of engaged with. I just think that's an insane situation uh, to create uh, essentially a mollycoddled society that isn't allowed to think for itself, in my view. Uh, Holly says, uh, 
he can't keep his sausage fingers out of it. Uh, that's probably about King Charles. We'll come to him in a minute. Uh, another private jet to a climate meeting, says River. Yes, this is the point. Um, a wee sort of flair for them, suggests River. And uh, I think we all know what happened to David Kelly. B. Liar has blown in his hands, it's suggested uh, by Holly. Well, let's go back. Thank you. Keep your polls and comments coming, by the way. Uh, let's go back to the fact that King Charles is in the United Arab Emirates, where he flew to, I don't think he went there by sailing boat, in order to address the world about the climate crisis. I don't think there is one. And I do think this is political. But am I right? Joining me now is Andrew Montford, director of Net Zero Watch in the United Kingdom. Uh, he founded a climate change skeptical blog, as in human intervention blog, uh, a long time ago, and uh, now is involved in production of factual reports, which are there for all to see from Net Zero Watch. Good morning, Andrew. Thanks for joining us on TNT Radio. Morning, Limbit. Tell us about what Net, Net Zero Watch does, and then we'll talk about the UAE. Net Zero Watch is, uh, uh, if you like, the campaigning arm of the Global Warming Policy Foundation, which is perhaps a little better known. Um, Net Zero Watch um, campaigns for rational policies on uh, climate and energy. Um, so, in general, we are we 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 recognise that uh, um, there isn't a climate emergency, as you said, and that um, the road we're taking down renewables and that kind of thing is um, well <laughs> irrational. A friend of mine describes it as nutty nuttoid. He actually uses a prefix, which I can't share. <laughs> but we've now got 70,000 people. That's right. 70000 people all flying to the United Arab Emirates to tell us not to fly. How can this it's... be happening, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> 70,000 people fly from all over the world to tell the world that we've got global boiling. Yeah, I mean, this is the this is the twenty eighth edition of the of of the of the COPs, the conference of the parties, um, and and each year it seems to get bigger. I think it was just COP, I think COP twenty seven last year was was um, forty thousand people. They're up to seventy thousand people now, and and yeah, they all fly in. The number of private jets arriving in the uae at the moment is absolutely extraordinary um and of course we've had you know all the all the 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 the, the uk big wigs um arriving separately in private jets so we've had charles arriving in a private jet we've had rishi in a private jet and david cameron in a private jet this is absolutely <laughs> astonishing hypocrisy um but they don't care they they know there's nothing that we the general public can do about it the King, the King Charles, and just to explain to international listeners, the royalty is meant to stay out of politics. But King Charles seems perfectly happy to tell us that uh, we've only got a very short time to, to save the planet. I think this is politics, Andrew. Why does he get away with it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, when he when he came to power, there was there was uh, um, a lot of talk that you know was he going to be willing to step back from his um his green enthusiasm 
to to take on that neutral role of the monarch and we were all assured that he would do and yeah it does look very much as though he's just going to carry on in the in the same vein i think you know what he will probably try to argue is that everybody agrees on that that we should be doing net zero and and, and decarbonizing and therefore it's no longer political um that of course is is a nonsense um and as as we see around europe now and around the world, in fact, you know, there are many countries that are electing uh, political leaders who are are thoroughly skeptical and 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 realize that what we're doing is madness and are trying to and trying to is, escape from the green shackles, if you like. Andrew, it seems to me that Net Zero Watch and its predecessor, the Global uh, Warming Policy Foundation were outliers for many years and indeed one of the key individuals the late uh, nigel lawson who was also chancellor of the exchequer a bit like the late uh, alistair darling who died yesterday he was ostracized he was lambasted by the bbc for saying that there wasn't a climate emergency and the bbc changed its entire policy to say they didn't have to have balance on the subject but yeah, it seems I mean to me you go on well, I was going to say we we yeah for essentially the first ten years of our existence, so pretty much from two thousand and ten to two thousand and twenty, um, the the Global Warming Policy Foundation and subsequently Net Zero Watch um, have been completely ignored by the media. Um, you know, there was a little bit of attention at the start, but as as you note, the BBC. Uh, um, after a few years realized we were having we were having an influence and essentially they silenced us and the rest of the mainstream media silenced us too it's only in the last couple of years or maybe actually probably only this year in fact that um we've started to regain traction in the in the mainstream media i mean for your, for your international viewers um, the Daily Telegraph, you know, the main right-wing paper in London, has um, opened its 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 uh, ears, if you like, to our message, and and you know are, they are starting to to um, publish um, heterodox opinions, if you like. Mm. Um, most of the media is still close to us, though they they are, aren't willing to even e even listen to the arguments, and this is a, a thoroughly unhealthy thing for um for our democracy um heterodox views need to be aired i mean it's not just on on climate change it's on all the other things you know we know that you know uh, um debate about immigration has been suppressed for many years um um debate about the, the the benefits of the eu was was suppressed for many years this this is really very unhealthy um and and yeah it needs to change uh, uh, River says in the chat, if you want to see the whole chat, go to tntradio.live, by the way. Uh, River says uh, uh, that um, uh, uh, that maybe they're all in vegetarian virgin flights. I don't think so, River. I don't think so. Um, uh, Jethro is rather skeptical about, skeptical about the makeup of the people who go there. Okay, thanks for that, Jethro. And um, Holly says, I think the next time he does a walkabout, there must be a crowd of people laughing at him. Uh, this is the problem, though, uh, Andrew. I've been accused of being the outsider, the freak, the loony, the minority, by saying that the science doesn't support a claim that human beings are wrecking the climate. In fact, I would say the science proves that human beings can't wreck the climate, even if we wanted to. We haven't got the power to do it. And yet, 
these lunatic greens are still able to wag the dog of mainstream politics but why do they do it there aren't that many votes in it yeah i it the the, the green religion if you like and it is it is a religion in essence has, has taken over society as a whole and and in particular parliament i i was watching um questions to the, the 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 secretary of state for climate change the other day and it was extraordinary the 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 way uh mps in the chamber um dealt with the issue of climate change half of them were, were saying we need to we need more wind farms we've got to do net zero quicker and quicker and quicker and the other half of them were saying my my constituents can't afford their heating bills this and you know can i have a subsidy for a business in in my constituency and they just don't seem to make the connection between the two issues they're just not thinking about it in a rational way um and this is the problem with religions is that it does you know it does stop you thinking rationally um and until i think until people feel the pain even more and you know they're starting to feel the pain now but the pain is going to get worse um after that questions will 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 start to be asked and i think we will get back to rationality um but yeah the question is what is going to be left behind because at the moment our economy is being trashed at the most incredible rate of knots i mean just in the last month we've lost our last blast furnace we've lost one of our six oil refineries you know the last uh fertilizer factory went a couple of years ago I mean, we can't carry on deindustrializing at this rate. I mean, it 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 is going to be an absolute disaster. Um, but you know, and not just for you know in, in financial terms, it's going to be a disaster for our society as well because wealth allows people to rub along together, and and if if we don't have wealth, I think societal frictions will increase and things will start to get very messy. Um, I think that, you know, politicians need to take a long, hard look at themselves um, and, and, and ask whether we really are on the correct path. I mean, there's no doubt we're not on the correct path. We are what we're spending is much more than even even the, the wildest estimates of, of the cost of what climate change is going to is going to hit us with. Um, so you know, it is clearly irrational um but politicians carry on regardless the uh, there seems to me that the thing the public will talk about isn't technical stuff like absorption spectrums and the logarithmic decay of the effect of co2 but the fact that they can't buy the car they want or they can't afford yeah. to pay for the energy uh, or they aren't allowed to fly unlike everybody who's gone to the uae for the cop 28 when it really affects people's lifestyles, I think that's when it might change. Yeah, I mean, just this, to me, Andrew, that's now. Yeah, I mean, just this week, of course, we've had the thing where you know they're going to put fifteen thousand pounds on the on the cost of a new uh, petrol or diesel car. Um, there are plans afoot to do something similar to to force you to get um, a heat pump rather than than a gas boiler. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, these these costs are real and they're going to hit people in the pocket and they're going to be very, very unhappy. Um, the problem we have, of course, in the UK is that, you know, it looks like the Conservatives are going to get wiped out. Um, but, you know, we then move on to Labour who are going to be even greener and, and do even more of these insane things. I think until society realises that that the main political parties are all all singing from the same hymn sheet. Um, to use a yeah to bring us back to a sort of a religious an analogy again um um 
things aren't going to get better. I think I think um, you know we need to look at the outsiders a little bit more um, because that is the only road back to sanity, as far as I'm concerned. Andrew, thanks so much for what you're doing to try to get sanity. That's Andrew Montford from Net Zero Watch. You'll find them on the internet. That's all we've got time for. It's gone so fast, but be assured we are fighting the good fight, burning a fossil fuel powered flame to get back to the enlightenment that seems to have been lost. We, I guarantee we will be talking about COP28 on my show almost every day next week because someone's got to get to the facts. Uh, I'll be back on Monday. Thanks so much to the team this week. Thanks for you uh, for watching and for listening. And thanks for all the chat points as well. Keep your calls and comments coming. I'm Lemba Topic. This is TNT Radio. Have a great weekend. <laughs>